Let, let's pray as we go into the Word today. Lord, we are so grateful that you are active among us, that you are doing your work among us. And Lord, we pray that you would do your work now, that we would hear your word now, and that we would respond to it today. We need you, Jesus. We thank you that you are open, available, and wanting to work in us and through us. Amen. So, we uh, began a series on Acts the last time I spoke. Um, and the question we have is, what is Jesus doing? We talked about that it is, Jesus said he began what, what, what uh, he began to do and teach. And Luke explains that, and he, he says he, what he continued to do and teach. And last week, we gave you uh, a chart. You can follow it, and you can follow the video online. But I'm going to play a quick clip, just three minutes, not even that, from uh, th this particular video. They have a couple of Acts videos. This is Bible Project. You can go look up Bible Project and Acts. And uh, can you run that? All right. Let's turn the sound up so we the can uh, hear it. It's the second volume of a unified two-part work that today we call Luke-Acts. These were written by the same author, Luke, who was a traveling co-worker with Paul. This is clear from the book's introduction, where Luke says, I produced my first volume, that's the gospel, about all the things that Jesus began to do and to teach. Now Luke's giving a clue here as to what this book of Acts will be about. Volume 1 was about what Jesus began to do and to teach. Volume 2 will then be about what Jesus continued to do and teach. Which leads to a really interesting point about the book's traditional but not original name, the Acts of the Apostles. While different apostles do appear in most of these stories, the only single character who unifies the whole story from beginning to end is Jesus himself, acting directly or through the Spirit. And so the book would more accurately be named the Acts of Jesus and the Spirit. The book's introduction recounts how the risen Jesus spends some 40 days with the disciples, teaching them about the kingdom of God. This connects back to the story of Luke's gospel, where Jesus claimed that he was restoring God's kingdom over the world, beginning with Israel. So he called Israel to live under God's reign by following him. And he was enthroned as king when he gave up his life and then conquered death with his love. And so the book of Acts begins with the risen King Jesus instructing his disciples about life in his kingdom. So he promises that the Spirit will soon come and immerse them in his personal presence. And this fulfills one of the key hopes from the Old Testament prophets, that in the Messianic kingdom, God's presence, his Spirit, would come and take up residence among his people in a new temple and transform their hearts. And so Jesus says, when this happens, the Spirit will empower his disciples to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. From here, Jesus is taken up from their sight in a cloud. It's an image drawn from the book of Daniel, chapter 7. It shows how Jesus is now being enthroned as the Son of Man who was vindicated after his suffering and now shares in God's rule over the world. And so he promises that he will return one day. And so the main themes and the design of the book of Acts flow right out of this opening chapter. This is a story about Jesus leading his people by the Spirit to go out into the world and invite all nations to live under his reign. 
And so the story will begin with that message spreading in Jerusalem and then into the neighboring regions of Judea and Samaria, full of non-Jewish people, and then from there out to all of the nations into the ends of the earth. This video is just going to focus all on right, the first that's, half. That's, that's all we need for so now. So Jerusalem, um, you can see the rest if you want. But I uh, wanted to, to recap a bit of what we talked about last time. And so we are talking about this as what is Jesus doing? The acts of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So he says what Jesus began to do and teach. And the book of Acts doesn't have a very good ending. There's never an what Jesus, when he finished. Jesus is still working through his spirit, through his people. And we get to be part of it. And that's why I'm excited. One of the reasons I'm excited about going through this book. To see what Jesus has done. To give us clues to, to see what Jesus is doing now. So... Um, as we, the, the key text that was brought out there, um, let's go on to the next piece there. I don't know if this is, there, there you go. So that, I wanted to pick out that one quote, just that summary. A story, Acts is a story about Jesus leading his people by the Spirit to go out into the world and invite all nations to live under his reign. It's about the kingdom of God. That was Jesus' theme, right? Throughout all of Acts, his thing was the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Turn because the kingdom of God is at hand. This is your chance to be under the reign of Jesus himself. So I think you're going to have to go on. I don't know if this is uh, working for me. All right. But this is the key text, somewhat of an outline for Acts. And he, the uh, disciples said, Lord, are you at this time going to restore, free Israel and restore our kingdom? A lot of us are into that, right? When do we get to have power back? No, I don't blame them. They were oppressed. They were the, the military and the political Rome was oppressing them. They want to know, when do we get our chance? Jesus says, you know what? You're going to get power. But it's not the power you're looking for. It's a power much greater. It's a kingdom much greater. It's much more than you expect and hope. And let me tell you, people, the things that we hope for are often too low. God has a lot more for you and for our life far beyond any of these other options. So you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So the filling with the Holy Spirit is to give us power to do what? Yeah, what does it say right there? And you will be my witnesses. Okay? Holy Spirit does some other things as well. He sanctifies us. He does it. We're going to talk about that. But in Luke, the focus of what the Holy Spirit does when he fills you is he makes you a witness. He makes us a witness. It is power in order to be witnesses. Where? Well, in the book of Acts, it starts in Jerusalem, and then it goes to Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. So this was not about restoring the kingdom of Israel to Judea. It was about the whole earth. And that's what we were just doing. What we are about as a church is the whole earth. God is about the whole earth. Now, I want to mention something. I've mentioned it before, but one way that this has sometimes been misused in my opinion, is that it's used as a, we, we use it as a, as a, um, 
an outline for our own ministry in the sense that we say when we finish Jerusalem, when St. Paul is all saved and everything is good in St. Paul, then we'll think about the rest of America. And then we'll think about the rest of the world. And it never happens. You know what? Jerusalem isn't particularly Christian even now. Um, so if you're going to wait till Jerusalem is done, you're never going to finish what he assigned for you to do. <laughs> it's all over the world. Now, at this point, it started in Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem was important because Jerusalem was where the temple was. Jerusalem was where God's people were. Jeru Jerusalem was important. But I also want you to notice one other thing. Jerusalem, Jesus said, he was setting his face to Jerusalem because it's not good for a prophet to die outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a place to be killed. When Paul was going in the book of Acts back to Jerusalem, it was a place to suffer and to be imprisoned and to almost be killed. And so sometimes this is used, I've heard people use it as, you know what, I'm going to stay here where I'm comfortable and where my home is. Uh, and then, you know, if, if, if it, you know, I'll let God move me out there someday or I'll at least to send a check to some missionary someplace. That is not. So that's why it's important when you notice that after Jesus is enthroned on high, the angel comes and says, men of Galilee, why are you looking into the sky? Men of Galilee. So when did they leave their comfort zone? Three years ago. And going to Jerusalem was even more out of their comfort zone. And if you recall, they were shut up in a room, locked the doors. Some of them were running away when Jesus encountered them in Luke and said, you know what, go back to Jerusalem <laughs> and meet with other people. So Jerusalem was not where you wanted to be just after Jesus got killed there. Right? It was the hot spot. They wanted to go back to Galilee if they had a choice. Maybe back home. All of us like to be home, folks. But the Spirit of God sometimes pushes us out of our home, out of our comfort zone, says, leave your nets, leave your business, leave your family, go where I'm sending you. Now, are you following me? There isn't a comfortable option to be a disciple of Jesus. Did you hear that? There isn't, a, even if, so Philip goes all over the place and then he ends up in Caesarea and he raises the family there and he stays there, but it's never comfortable. Sometimes God makes you stay where it's uncomfortable, like Jerusalem. Sometimes he makes you go where it's un uncomfortable. But the Spirit of God, the purpose is to be a witness. You follow me? What is my purpose most of the time? be comfortable, to be secure, to be safe, right? That's normal. But if I lean on Jesus as my comfort, my safety, my security, I can go with his spirit to do a lot of things that he called me to do. I can be his witness a lot of places. Are you following me? And if I focus on my, pri my priority as my comfort, my safety, my security, I will miss out sometimes at least, on being the witness he wants me to be. You following me? Men of Galilee, 
Go back. And the same thing happens later. That when the Spirit comes, people are saying, these guys are all from Galilee. How are they talking Creole and Swahili and all these other languages that are home languages? Um, okay. So this is a renewed kingdom. There's a new king. Jesus is enthroned. The ascension is all about him going to be enthroned. It's a new people. And it's a new place all over the world. Now, remember, this is not... I'm saying renewed because God had a people. He was king. He was doing something before this. This is not like a brand new, never heard of thing before. This is a continuation. Luke emphasizes over and over like the other gospel writers, this is the fulfillment. This is what we've been waiting for. This is it. It's new, but it's renewed. It's the old promise in a much better way. It's a new power, spirit-filling for a new purpose, to be witnesses. Not to avoid suffering. That's not an option if you're going to be a witness or a follower of the crucified one. But the purpose is to be witnesses. And that, but it is a new direction out to people, to the peoples, to the nations. So, I, you know, power, purpose, and peoples, Pastor Jim would have done that because that would have been a great alliteration. But direction just seemed... I kind of kind of cheating there, okay? Um, this new kingdom has a new power, a new purpose, and a new direction, which is out to the peoples. Because you see, Jesus went to God's dimension, which is heaven. Now, I think with our cosmology, sometimes we think, well, you know, is Jesus on the moon or is Jesus at the end of the solar system? That's not the way they thought about heaven. There is another dimension, and that dimension intersects with ours. It's not far away. God is here in heaven, close by. And he's coming back. Jesus is coming back, as the, angel, as the angel said. But what is important is that before that happens, before Jesus comes back, the Spirit is coming. He's coming on Jerusalem, on a new temple. And the message is for the sent ones, for the apostles, for his people, go. So Jesus went, Jesus is coming back, but don't just stand there looking in the sky and figuring out when that's going to happen. Because the Spirit is going to come. Wait for power from the Spirit and then go. Those are the two things they're told to do, right? And the angels show up and say, uh, get with it. We told you what to do. And so I just want you to clarify that the nations are coming to the temple in the Old Testament. They're coming from the nations. Those idolatrous, oppressive nations are supposed to see the people of God, a just people of God who worship the true God, and they're supposed to come from the nations. They're supposed to pray to the temple. And over and over in, in Scripture, it emphasizes that fulfillment in the Old Testament. So the nations is not a new thing. I will bless you and make you a blessing, and all nations on earth will be blessed through you. God said to Abraham, to the people of Israel, right? Remember the book of Mo books of Moses? Yeah. It was all there way back. What's new is the direction. Because now they're going. They're going to go from Jerusalem. They're not just going to wait for the nations to come to them. They're going to go out from Jerusalem. They're going to go out to the nations. 
And God had already done that sometimes through the exile and other things that were spread around. But this is an intentional going. Un intentional or unintentional, God is going to make them. The Spirit's going to carry them out. I want to clear that for, clarify that for us as well, okay? Because sometimes as Bethel Temple, <laughs> Bethel Christian Fellowship, we can wait for people to come to us. Isn't it going to be great when people come in through those doors? Isn't it going to be great if they click on our website and discover us and come here if they have a friend? And, they, and we're, we're thankful for all of you who did that. That's great. But we're also supposed to go. And let me tell you, sometimes going doesn't even have to be that far. Sometimes going across the street is a long ways. Sometimes going to somebody who speaks Creole is a little ways for you. Not so much when they've already learned English. They, they do know English, these guys. <laughs> when, but uh, I don't know French or uh, Creole. A little Swahili helps me out with uh, Pastor Mike. But when we get to go across the street sometimes to people who are different from us. And this week is Merge Twin Cities. This is specifically for those who God has gathered, like at the day of Pentecost, from all over the world. And Sammy Wanyoni has said, you know, when God gathers the nation someplace, he's ready to do something. And I think he's ready to do something this week. Okay? And Merge Twin Cities asked me this last week, they said, so when people fill out cards and they say stuff, are you ready to follow up with those people? Next Sunday, they're going to be sending us names. Hopefully we're going to be out there on Saturday, but they're going to be sending us names for us to go, go and make contact with those people and say, hey, it's great that you heard about Jesus at Merge Twin Cities. What do you, let's build a relationship. Okay? We also get to go with sending missionaries. And so people have come, people have gone, but we can't sit here and wait for them. I know you've heard that before. Also, we don't have to wait for there to be a church program to do this. You all have neighbors. You have jobs. You have family. Who you can go to. You're, you're going to work. Well, maybe you're not going to work. But even if it's on a Zoom meeting, <laughs> you can relate to those people, right? The people who we need to go to. God puts you where you are, what you do 40 hours a week, is part of your witness, part of your ministry. Don't wait for church or a church program, all right? So Merge Twin Cities is going to be great. Let's participate, but we don't have to wait for that. Let's, let's do what we can. Are you guys with me? Y'all sound real quiet today. I don't know why. Um, I think this is exciting stuff because we have a renewed kingdom. The kingdom of God is renewed. The power of the Spirit is ours. The purpose to be witnesses. Everybody's looking for a purpose, folks. Have you noticed that? People are trying to rally behind this cause and that cause and this thing and that thing. Because people need a purpose. We got a purpose. It was given 2,000 years ago. It was given to Abraham 2,000 years before that. We have a purpose to be witnesses to Jesus. So we need to be with Jesus, and then we need to share him. And we have a direction out to people. And when they come, that's great too. And then the next piece is they were praying. 
So if you, I hope you, your Bibles are open. I didn't tell you where to open. Acts 1. Um, it's on your phone or in your lap or right in front of you in the pew. Acts 1, verse 14. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer. So there is a persevering, and there is a togetherness, and there is a unity. Get that? Two things. Constantly united in prayer. That's what this 10 days of prayer is an opportunity to do. Now we, we have other prayer opportunities on Monday nights, on Thursdays during the day, and Thursday evenings, Friday nights, ANFC prayer. There's lots of prayer opportunities that we have regularly. This 10 days of prayer is just a special one. We got, you have opportunity to be trained on Monday nights. You've been a little afraid of those folks. You can just walk in and watch what's happening. And, and, um, but to be united together in prayer. So I hope you're praying. But there's also a special power in being together in prayer. Somehow, when other people spark something and I hear something from God and there's new things, to be united together in prayer. Now, we need unity. Anybody agree with that? And prayer is a key place we're going to get there, especially if we're praying together. Now, sometimes it's true. You can get, be in prayer and somebody can get off on a tangent about something that can make you uncomfortable, but you're together. And you can be praying into that, right? As opposed to they're off praying against the people you're praying for and they're praying for the people against them. You know what I'm saying? Let's be together, united in prayer. They were, and this is going to be a theme all through Scripture. We're going to see them over and over, constantly united in prayer. Who was there? They were the 12 sent ones. The apostles, the disciples were there. Well, the 11, okay? They were there along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. So Jesus' family and a bunch of women, and there's 120 of them. Why 120? Well, 12 is a significant number. Also, 120 is what it took to have a real Jewish community someplace. This is the beginning of this church. Now, I, I do want you to notice that you will recall that there were 5,000 men, you know, 15,000, crowds of thousands and thousands who followed Jesus, right? Until he got to the cross and the suffering and the persecution. Um, but we're down to 120. But they are praying and united and ready for the Spirit to be poured out on them. Um, I'm excited about our time of prayer coming up and all the other times we have too, but they... Um, they're persevering, united in prayer. You, you're with me in chapter 1 there? During this time, when about 100, this is verse 15, when about 120 believers were together in one place, Peter stood up and addressed them. Brothers, he said, the scriptures had to be fulfilled concerning Judas, so who guided those who arrested Jesus. This was predicted long ago by the Holy Spirit speaking through King David. Judas was one of us and shared in the ministry with us. So there are leaders. I want you to notice that there's leaders there, including Peter. Now, Peter ends up being a leader right away in the book of Acts. He's leading just like he was in the Gospels, and he takes 
kind of a lead role, especially in the first half of Acts. Paul takes a very lead role in the second half of Acts. But y'all remember something about Peter? Just a little while ago, Peter was denying he knew Jesus. Right? So, I want you to notice that leaders don't have to be faultless or even sinless. Just in case you didn't know, your leaders aren't faultless or sinless or know everything. Yeah, you, you needed me to tell you that, right? Um, I know you see my sins even better than I do, probably, sometimes. Um, we can be human, and as a leader, you can be human. But here's the thing Peter did. Jesus prophesied. He said, Your, Satan wants to sift you as wheat. But when you have come through, strengthen your brothers. Peter turned back to Jesus. Jesus specifically came to Peter to, to reinstate him. But Peter was still with his brothers. He was still engaged. Are you with me? He didn't leave. And his brothers didn't shoot him. We're human. Our leaders are human. And it's okay. But Judas did something else. He also was influenced by Satan. He betrayed Jesus, and he never turned back. Now, according to Matthew, he was sort of turned back. He felt condemnation. He went back to the Jewish leaders and gave back the um, coins, but he didn't go back to Jesus. So let me read these two. Luke throws in a parenthesis. Because Luke was back in, uh, remember Luke was back in Jerusalem investigating everything and trying to figure out what had happened. And he throws in here a little explanation about what had happened. Verse 18. And then we're going to read Matthew's version, okay? Judas had bought a field with the money he received for his treachery. Falling headfirst there, his body split open, spilling out his intestines. The news of his death spread to all the people of Jerusalem, and they gave the place the Aramaic name Akeldama, which means field of blood. Now, clearly, this is Luke throwing in a parenthesis for his readers, because Peter would not have had to explain that to people, what the Aramaic mean, name is, for example. He's letting his readers know what happened. Now, Matthew has a slightly different version of what happened. Matthew, um, so let me, oh, and we're also going to talk about guidance. How did they get guidance? So, um, first of all, I want to ask, why 12? So, Peter says, um, before I go to the parentheses, let me continue with, below that with what Peter says. Peter continued, this was written in the book of Psalms, where it says, let his home become desolate with no one living in it, it also says, let someone else take his position. So now, we must choose a replacement for Judas from among the men who were with us the entire time we were traveling with the Lord Jesus. From the time he was baptized by John until the day he was taken from us, whoever is chosen will join us as a witness of Jesus' resurrection. What's the purpose? To be a witness of Jesus' resurrection, of everything that Jesus did from the time he was baptized until later. Now, why 12? Why, why isn't it good enough to have 11? Sounds pretty good, right? But Luke, in Luke 22, Jesus says this, you've stayed with me to his disciples in my time of trial. 
And just as my Father has granted me a kingdom, I now grant you the right to eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. And you will sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So these disciples, these sent ones, were the new heads of the twelve tribes of the new people of God, the renewed people of God. I mean, they're all Jewish, <laughs> but they're all part of this new people of God. So the point is, Luke is saying, this is the new Israel. This is the grafted in, the remnant, the, the ones who are going to carry on what God promised to Israel. Are you following me? So to me, I'm like, 11's pretty good. But no, Peter's making a point. Luke is making a point. We have to have 12. Because this is the new Israel. This is the people of God in the new kingdom. All right, you with me? Okay, now, why does Luke's account differ from Matthew's? That parenthesis about what happened to Judas. So let me, let me just go to, to Matthew's account quickly. Um, when Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priest and said, I have sinned, he declared, for I betrayed an innocent man. He didn't go back to Jesus. He went back to the priest. What do we care, the retorter? That's your problem. Then Jesus, Judas threw the silver down in the temple and went out and hanged himself. The leading priest picked up the coins. It would not be right to put this money in the temple treasury, they said, since it was payment for murder. After some discussion, they finally decided to buy the potter's field, and they made it into a cemetery for foreigners. That's why the field is still called the field of blood. This fulfilled the prophecy of Jeremiah that says they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price at which he was valued by the people of Israel, and purchased the potter's field as the Lord directed. So, there are some differences between these two accounts. What do we do with the differences between the two accounts? Well, we can say the Bible's full of errors. See? They disagree. Matthew says this. Luke says that. There's all these contradictions in the Bible all over the place. You can't believe any of it. Have you heard that? That's one way to take it. Another way to take it, one we often do is, they can be harmonized. So you can say, well, so Judas essentially bought the field because it was his money that bought that field. So they say Judas bought the field, and uh, it's actually the, the, the priest that bought the field. There, there are ways to harmonize the accounts, okay? And, and there's been attempts at that, and people have talked about that since Augustine and, and long before, all right? I think even more helpful is to realize that good witnesses agree on the main points but likely disagree on minor points. Luke went back to Jerusalem a few decades later, and the story he heard that people were telling about that field, that the, his, his eyewitnesses told him was, this is why we call it the field, that field. Matthew had different eyewitnesses, or, or his own account, and it was different. Now, we have a, a lawyer here. Brenda, if two witnesses come in, and they have exactly the same account, word for word, about what happened someplace, what would you suspect? They were coached, <laughs> right? That they weren't eyewitnesses. They were just given a script, or they collaborated together to have a script so that they could say, oh, this is what happened, right? 
two witnesses should disagree on some minor points. If they're really witnesses. Because some of them would say, well, this happened, or it happened so fast, I'm not sure, I think this happened, and then maybe that happened. And, but the main points are the same. Right? Judas betrayed Jesus. He died. He, he, his money bought this field. All the main points are the same. I would like you propose to you that we can look at Scripture and say, you know what? People were collecting accounts different ways, and it's true. Even if the minor points disagree, even if we can put them together or we're, we're not exactly sure. Are, are you following me? I know this is a little bit of a stretch, but humans wrote Matthew and Luke from eyewitness accounts from humans who were there. Now, the Spirit guided that, and he gives us the main point. So the main points, Luke and Matthew agree that Judas' action fulfilled biblical passages, Psalms passages about what was going to happen to David's and Jesus' enemies. And you can also see in the way that they portray it what their emphases are. The emphasis for Luke and Peter is Judas was punished for what he did. Okay? That fulfilled what happens to Jesus' enemies. Are you following me? Just tuck that away. Think about it. We can harmonize the accounts, but we don't have to make everything fit perfectly to say this is true. Are you following me? Because I want you to get this point, because people will use that and say, you know what? The Bible contradicts itself all over the place. So it's not true. I think the fact that we have a quartet telling about who Jesus is, four different witnesses, collected from a lot of different witnesses, helps us be more sure that it's true. And the fact that they don't agree on every detail makes us more sure that it's true. Are you following me? I just wanted to give that, uh, because it, it is one of those things that, you know, I've always wondered about. So who made the decision? They're coming to this decision about who's going to replace Judas. So first, there was leaders. Peter proposed this, and he gave a purpose and qualification. He says, those who have been with us from the beginning to the end, so that they can be witnesses. Pick somebody who's been with us all the time. He gives the qualifications. Then the followers, the 120, nominate who would be good out of those. And they prayed. Let me read on. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. When they all prayed, then they all prayed. So all of us have a responsibility to pray, okay? And the nominee is accepted. That can easily slip by, but a lot of us, when there's an opportunity for leadership or ministry in the church, we're like, yeah, I'm kind of busy. When God calls us to do something, when the, when the church says, we think you'd be great for this, we're like, yeah, uh, probably, but they accepted. And I want to thank each of you who've accepted opportunities for ministry among us. You've done so many things. Thank you so much. Um, and then they all prayed, O oh Lord, who knows every heart. And the word is actually heart knower. Jesus, you are the heart knower. Show us which of these men you have chosen as a sent one, as an apostle, to replace Judas 
in this ministry, for he has deserted us and gone where he belongs. So Jesus got the last word. Then they cast lots, and Matthias was selected to become an apostle with the other 11. He was, the answer came from Jesus, who chose the first 12. He got to select the replacement. You following me? So who made the decision? They all did together. The leaders, the followers, the nominees, and ultimately, Jesus. What guides? How do we find guidance? This gives us some clues. Scripture. Scripture applied to this situation. Gave them some clues. Common sense. Well, if you're going to have a witness, wouldn't it be, make sense to have somebody who's been there from the beginning to the end? Here's the qualifications we're looking for. Prayer. Right? And Jesus' answer. You can write those down. They're not bad for any decision you make. Scripture. Some common sense about what qualifications, some prayer, and what does Jesus say? And then do that. <laughs> Commit to doing it even before you get the answer. Now, which priority do they have? They are constantly united in prayer. Is that your priority? Is that our priority when we make a decision? Or is it the news or research or fact-finding? Now, it's good to do fact-finding, figure out what's going on. but Constantly united in prayer is even better. Is it following or freedom? I'm just noticing in our society today that we put freedom as an absolute value. Individual freedom. Freedom is the thing. And the assumptions that we have tend to permeate in, in a worldview and a society, all right? So some people say, I am free to do whatever I want sexually. I am free to, to have an abortion. Don't touch my body. Don't do Other people say, I'm free to do whatever. Don't. I'm free to not get a vaccine. I'm free to, to don't touch my body. But I'm free, to, I'm free to not have you have the government tell me what I should do as far as my sexuality. I'm free to not pay taxes because that's... You get what I'm getting at. I'm sorry if I'm poking some... But the point is, we're putting individual freedom above. Are you following me? There are not many followers. This was an accusation that in-laws have about the Rasmussen's. They're all leaders and no followers. That is a problem. If you have all leaders and no followers, if you have all experts and nobody to listen to the experts, you got a problem. Right? I think we have a problem in our society following. I think East Africa, people are much better at following and doing what's best for the community and what's best for the family. Following is not an easy one for us because freedom is number one. Trust or skepticism. Now, here's what, here's what skepticism is. Skepticism says if you can't show me 100%, then I'm, I don't believe it. People do this with Scripture. If you can't show me, or, or the, can't show me 100% that the Bible is true, I don't believe it. If you can't show me that God isn't going to show up for sure that everything is true, then I don't believe it. Okay? If you can't show me 100% that this is guaranteed, I don't believe it. We are becoming a country of skeptics, a church of skeptics. And listen, folks, there is nothing 
when I was going to marry my wife, I was pretty excited. I was pretty sure she was the one. Did I have 100% assurance that she was going to be still who I loved and would be a wonderful person 33 years later? No. I took a big risk. Right? Now, she was a good risk, I'll admit. But what if I had said, I got to wait until I'm 100% sure? It never would have happened, right? A lot of us are like, I got to wait until it's 100% before I'm going to do anything. It's not going to happen, folks. Are you following me? And boy, would I have missed out if I hadn't taken a risk and gone on 80% or whatever. There's a lot I didn't know. We need to trust. And then, is our priority to be a witness or to be secure or safe or comfortable? Pastor Trent hit it earlier. Security is often our number one. And I admit, I want to be secure. I want to be safe. I want to be comfortable. Do I want more to be a witness? Am I willing more to trust? So here's the downside with skepticism. You can't prove it. A long conversation with a friend of mine who doesn't believe in God anymore, was a very committed Christian, and he could poke holes in everything. He's a smart guy, right? Finally, I said, okay, what do you believe? Tell me what you believe and prove it. We'd, we'd spent, I don't know how many emails. He said, let's, let, yeah, yeah, maybe we should leave it. Let's change the subject. He then be, doesn't believe in anything. He believes in skepticism. What kind of thing is that to believe in? I believe you can't believe in anything. Huh? Prove that. Prove that you can't believe in anything. You following me? That's really hard to prove. Um, so we need to be constantly united in prayer. We need to be following. We need to be trusting, and we need to be witnesses. That needs to be our priority. Now, I just want to welcome you to a renewed, ancient, now, forever kingdom. There is a king over all, and he's welcoming you to let him reign. Amen. There's a people that have been here for 4,000 years and are going to be forever. And he's inviting you to reign with him. There's a kingdom that is going to come on earth as it is in heaven that you can be part of. Welcome to power. Spirit-filled power. Welcome to purpose in your life. To be a witness. Welcome to a direction for your life. Out to peoples in the whole world. Welcome to prayer. Together. United. Persevering. Welcome to being a leader. Or being a follower. We all get a chance to do both. Welcome to guidance. From the Holy Spirit. Now. It's true that they didn't use lots. After the Holy Spirit came. That was an old thing. But they got the answer. From Jesus. God wants to give you his kingdom. He wants to give you his power. He wants to give you his purpose 
his direction, his communing in prayer, his chance to be part of a leadership and following. He wants to guide you. And us. He wants to give us his power, his purpose, his direction. Together. Can we pray together? Lord, thank you for your kingdom. Thank you for your glory. Thank you for caring about us. And thank you that you didn't leave and leave us orphans. But you sent your people. You sent your spirit to lead your people. Thank you for making us witnesses. We couldn't do that, but you are making us witnesses. Thank you for giving us a purpose and a direction. Thank you for welcoming us to commune with you and each other in prayer. Thank you for your goodness to us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have some worship time. Welcome to worship. Welcome to prayer up here if you want. And, and others, people want to pray with you. They're welcome to that as well. But um, I want you to see what a great opportunity we have. This is just chapter one. <laughs> and uh, we're, there's a lot more we can see about what Jesus is doing now among us. Amen. Lord, we thank you that by grace and grace alone, you have welcomed us to your kingdom. That you have given us forgiveness, cleansing, allowed us to be in your people, doing your work, seeing what you're doing. Thank you for anointing and filling us. Thank you for all that you have ahead of us. Thank you that you've welcomed me and each of us by your grace into this kingdom with you. God, we ask you to continue to work in our hearts, in our lives, in our church family, and in your world. For your glory. Amen. We have opportunity for discussion and prayer back through here in the prayer room in my office. And um, in any case, I want to bless you. So, go. In the name of the Father, who loves you, Jesus, who died for you, and the Spirit, who is filling and guiding, empowering you to be his witness as you go today and this week. Amen.